people are yes addicted. They're addicted to yes, and mm-hmm. they're yes battered. And and so yes has become a dirty word. Yes has been yes means obligation. Yes means commitment. Yes means I have no room. You're yeah. giving them a choice when you change it to a no oriented question. They feel like they have an option because you're not driving them for a yes. Mm-hmm. Clearly, you want the yes because you think that you're giving them control of the conversation by asking permission. But the reality is when you are driving, when you ask a yes oriented question, people internally get defensive, even mm-hmm. on a small scale. They, 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 they cringe. They, they, would you like me to give you your evaluation now? They, 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 they're like, ah, oh, go ahead, give it to me. Whereas saying no is protection. Hi, I'm Rav Baron, and this is Coaching Leaders Podcast with Derek Gond, who spent 20 years as a team member, leader, and then commander of hostage negotiations teams. Today, Derek is an instructor, expert coach, and author of Ego Authority Failure. In his book, Derek shares stories, tactics, and tools used as a hostage negotiator and how can we use them as leaders and in our personal lives. During this conversation, Derek shared with me very practical tools and tips that at first may sound counterintuitive until you hear Derek breaking down the psychology behind them and what makes them so effective. Here's one example. If you're looking for commitment, making people say yes to your request isn't your best strategy and why you are better off using no-oriented questions and make your team do exactly what you want. You will also learn how can you create more psychological safety by accusing your employees first. Yes. You heard that right. Accusation audit is a technique used by hostage negotiators before a difficult conversation kicks in. If you are heading towards a difficult conversation, then you might want to learn from Derek a quick 2 plus 1 method that is designed to diffuse the tension and gather more data so you can negotiate effectively. Derek also explains what tactical empathy is and how to use it to build a better relationship with everyone. If it works with hostage takers, it will work with your employees. Ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, Derek Gaunt. First of all, Derek, thank you very much for being so generous with your time and sharing it with me today. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me, Raf. I'm happy to be here. This first question that comes to my mind, Derek, hostage negotiator. Is this is one of those kids' dreams, like when I grow up, I will be a hostage negotiator or there is a different story behind it. I'm really curious. Well, for me, it, it didn't start off as, as, a, as a kid. Um, I didn't know anything about hostage negotiations until I actually became a law enforcement officer. So the traje- trajectory was I, I became a law enforcement officer. And this was during the, the heyday of the crack cocaine epi- epidemic in the U.S., and it was a scourge on the streets of our nation's uh, cities. Uh, mine was no exception. And so I didn't spend a lot of time as a patrol officer before I was moved to a narcotics unit. Mm-hmm. And in the narcotics unit, I learned through the course of interview and interrogation that I could say specific things in a specific manner to elicit specific responses from people. Mm-hmm. And I was intrigued by that. And so I knew right away that I wanted to be a a detective. And so when the opportunity presented itself, I was able to apply for a a position within the criminal investigation section where the majority of my job was spent trying to get information from people who were not inclined to give me that information. They would give Mm -hmm. it to me 
but they were hesitant because of uh, exposure to the criminal justice system, being viewed as a cooperator with the police or fearing for their life. And I was able to get people to share with me information in order for me to prosecute a particular case. And during the course of this time, I was asked to role play for a, um, a SWAT hostage negotiator exercise. Mm-hmm. And when I was exposed to that, I was just intrigued by what the negotiators were trying to accomplish with the, the quote, the bad guy inside the crisis site. Mm-hmm. And it was clear that they took what we were doing in the criminal investigation section, which was using our communication skills to gather information to another level. And so I, after I did that role play, I, I said, you know what, that's for me because I am all about the psychology of influencing people's behavior. And that seems to be what they were doing as hostage negotiators. So in 1997, the opportunity came up. I competed for a slot. I was granted one of five vacancies on the team and I never looked back. Wow, that sounds like hell of a study and something that you wouldn't change if you go back in time, right? Mm-hmm, for sure. Mm. You've mentioned that you, the psychology behind asking the right questions and getting the information. And I like the phrase that you also use that you were selling the jail time. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that I got from, from your book that is that you weren't really leading or going to conversation leaning with that ego, with that authority, leading with that batch forward from in the front and reminding that you, the authority, you have the whole law enforcement behind you. There's a SWAT team behind you mm-hmm. and I need to execute and then you're going to do what I want. You had to do something differently. Yeah. That reminds me what managers tend to and how managers tend to behave in the workplace and especially in the sharing feedback, I can hear so much authority and ego in the language. I'm not sure if it's deliberate or not, or picking up the habits, but this language of, I need you to do this. I want to do that. that. I don't want to see this again. It's just fueled with ego and authority. And sure. I don't have all the answers, how to disable it. I'm, I became curious about two, three years ago about it. But how do you disable this ego and authority so you get the results that you want from people? Well, first of all, you, you got to realize um, the hierarchy is recognized by everybody. Mm-hmm. So the bosses who run around telling everybody that they're the boss, there's there's a certain level of insecurity there mm-hmm. uh, in, in their current role because the hierarchy is readily apparent in every organization. You know who's in charge. Right. Um, how do you keep ego and, and authority in check? understanding the negative connotations of both. Um, it's not, they're not 100% evil. There are times when your ego and authority have to be on display, but it's not every day, all day. Mm-hmm. Confused. Um, they, they tend to want to push their agenda because they can, not because they necessarily have to. And so the sooner you get your head around what you have on the title screen there, treating your employees as if they're hostage takers, treating them with the same level of deference that we do hostage takers is, is paramount if you want to be effective as a leader. It's paramount if you want to influence. It's paramount if you want to get cooperation, collaboration, and buy-in from the people who are your direct reports. Sure, mm-hmm. you can bark in order and make them do it, but I want to ask and have them want to do it. And there's a difference. Yes. 
I want that person to have enough confidence in me that I have that th their best interest at heart, that if I tell them, I want you to, to, to bow your head and run into that brick wall as fast and as hard as you can. I want them to say, you got it, boss, and not ask me why. I, that's the kind of rapport and trust that I want to build in my uh, direct reports. And it starts with me deferring to them. It starts with me subordinating myself to mm -hmm. them. It starts with me demonstrating that I understand this is what it looks like from their perspective. The faster you do that, the faster you'll get buy-in. Mm, but it's not an easy task because we've been predisposed no. and, and trained to use it as a shortcut, if you will, to get what you want, because I have this superior position here and, you know, your parent kids, your teachers, older siblings, and in the workplace, it just manifests yourself that way. And for me, it also manifests in the language and how I communicate with myself and with people around. Now, what are the language tricks or ways we can use that will take away this authority and we will stop communicating so obviously, maybe not intentionally, but we tend to communicate that I'm the boss, I'm in charge, and I want you to do this. Now, when I was reading your book, I read this, uh, this phrase, tactical empathy, which mm -hmm. to me, it, it's almost oxymoron. Like it's, it's against what I thought empathy is until I read your book. And my guess is that is the solution to the situation. Tactical empathy is the, is the solution to any relationship any mm -hmm. relationship take it out of the workplace put it into your personal life it doesn't really matter mm -hmm. because at the end of the day people regardless of where you come from people want other people to understand how they feel what they're going through mm -hmm. their circumstances their predicament and mm -hmm. the negative dynamics and emotions that are associated with it and the faster you can display tactical empathy and that for those who haven't read the book, that, that is the deliberate attempt on your part to understand, to recognize and articulate the perspective of another person. It's not feeling what they feel. Mm -hmm. It's just understanding that they feel that way. It's not agreeing with. And it's not necessarily about liking the other side. You don't have to agree hmm. with them. You don't have to like them or their position to demonstrate tactical empathy. That's why we call it tactical empathy, because it is deliberate and it is strategic. And we do it because we know it works. You know, I like to say that the best purveyors of tactical empathy on the planet are hostage negotiators and sociopaths. Oh. Because <laughs> we both use it because we know it's effective. Mm-hmm. And so the sooner that you can do that, the sooner you demonstrate to the other side that you are listening to them, that you get them, that you understand where they're coming from. That's what people hunger for. Mm -hmm. And it's it's it starts by your listening to them on a on a deeper level. You know, there's in every difficult conversation, there's going to be a presenting dynamic. There's going to be a latent dynamic and you you're. You're you're fine if you're demonstrating an understanding of the of the presenting dynamic, but you're in a much better position if you can demonstrate that you understand what's going on with them under the surface. And that's what tactical empathy is all about. Mm. It's, it's the understanding and verbalizing and letting you know 
that I really understand what it's all and that's, about. And that's key, Raph. It, what you said is key there. It's not just you recognizing because most of us will recognize. Most of us will get an intuitive feeling as to what's going on with the other side. Where we fall short as human mm -hmm. beings is articulating it. Unless you articulate it, the other side do, does not know that you understand, does not know that you get it. It will create their own assumption. We're all creating our own assumption in that conversation. You've used the one word that caught really my attention, the faster you can get it. And as I was reading your book, you've mentioned the accusation audit mm -hmm. that we should do it right at the beginning whenever possible. And that in itself scared the heck out of me. Because you just said that we, can, we need to verbalize what we think and what we feel. And we, the accusation audit is something that we all have in our minds, but we never, ever verbalize it the way you guys do. Could you just tell us a little bit more about the accusation audit and what, what makes it so effective? Uh, the accusation audit is just, it's, it's merely a preemptive identification of the negative thoughts, assumptions, and impressions that the other side, whoever you're conversing with, has about you, has about what you represent, has about the conversation. Mm -hmm. If you are going to engage in a difficult conversation, for example, performance feedback. Yeah. Performance feedback is going to be a difficult conversation. Mm -hmm. I don't care how many categories you rate them outstanding. That one category where you rate them as just meeting requirements, they're going to have a problem with. Mm -hmm. And so that part of the conversation is going to become difficult. You got to get out in front of that stuff before you lay it on people. So this, the preemptive labeling or the preemptive identification of the negative opinions, assumptions, and repressions that they have about you, your message, and who you represent. Automatically, they're going to have, there's going to be something negative about the interaction that they're thinking before they even say it. Mm. If you know that you're going to have a performance uh, uh, review with an individual. What are they? What are, put yourself in their in their shoes? If you were them, what would they be thinking about Raf? What mm. would they be thinking about this performance review? The first one of the first thing that it's it's getting in a way in terms of feedback conversation is this constant guessing of your intention. Are you with me or against me? What's the reason you're sharing feedback with me? And if it's contradictory to what I believe and I thought about myself. I will first guess your intention being malice against me rather than accepting my responsibility and role in that. So I'll push it back at you. you, you you're, not, you're not being fair with me. You're not, you're not being reasonable. You, you, yeah. You know, and, right so, and, and so th those, those are three accusations audits right there. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a difficult conversation. You're probably going to think that I'm being unfair. You may be thinking that I'm trying to impose my will. And you may, you may even think that some of these ratings are arbitrary and capricious. Mm -hmm. And I would just let that sit for one, two, maybe three seconds. Right. And so what this does for the person that you're dealing with is it takes them they're in their mind. They go to the far end of the fear spectrum and they start mm -hmm. thinking about all kinds of crazy things that you could be ready to say. They have mm -hmm. no idea what's going to come out of your mouth next. But mm -hmm. whatever it is, they're thinking that it's not going to be a pleasant thought. And once you do get into the meat of the conversation, they realize to themselves, this is not so bad after all. 
It's not as bad as what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. The other thing that it does, the accusation does, uh, makes it so effective is there is no clearer way for you to demonstrate that you're trying to see it from their perspective than mm-hmm. for you to start verbalizing things that they haven't said yet. Mm-hmm. Getting it right, getting it wrong is immaterial. It doesn't matter right. whether you get it right. You're not looking for confirmation. You're not looking for them to agree with you. Say, yeah, I, I, I was thinking that. Mm-hmm. Or, or you're not looking for them to say, no, I wasn't thinking that. Though you may get either. It doesn't really matter. What you're trying to do is just demonstrate from the from the very beginning, I have your interest in mind. Mm-hmm. This is not me just pushing my opinion out on you. I really care what you think about what I'm saying. Right. So let's just jump a second away from the acquisition and we'll come back to it in a second into, you spoke about the Mahrabian rule, which is one of the most widely misrepresented and misquoted rule and research out mm-hmm. there. And when I think about this tone of the voice that I should use when I do this accusation audit. I imagine myself or manage most managers having this tendency of being, well, I know it's going to sound unfair and I know this and I know that. My guess after reading your book is that's not the tone that I should take because it's very, I'm not certain, I'm not sure what I'm saying and I'm trying to make myself the nice guy here actually. Do I get it right or what's the, what's the tendency here? Um, I... I tend to want to convey seriousness and confidence without being offensive during right. a performance evaluation accusation audit. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to be in that, you know, Chris talked about it in his book. I talked about it briefly in mine, the, that late night FM DJ voice where mm-hmm. I, I'm neither going to be up or down as far as my tone. It's just going to be slow. Mm-hmm. Because I want their, I want them to, to be deliberate in their thought process. And when you start, and I'll do it for you right here. When you start to use the late night FM DJ voice to convey the seriousness of the conversation that you and I are about to undertake. Hmm. Your mirror neurons in your brain start to slow down to match the cadence of my voice, making Hmm. you more cognitively nimble Mm -hmm. and deliberate in your thought process. Now I did that on purpose. And because I did unconsciously, your mirror neurons started to slow down a lot. as well. A lot. And so and you're, I, you're almost hanging on every word. And and Derek, I'm before this conversation, I'm I think I'm just fueled with with passion and energy. I was so excited about this conversation slash nervous. And you already managed me to just kind of like, wow, okay, I need to observe what you're saying. I can see and hear and and, and exp- experience the weight of that yeah wow. and 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 it's and it's so it's, it's the accusations audit delivered that way is so powerful because it, it allows you them time to think um it allows them to go to that as i mentioned earlier the far end of that sphere sphere spectrum and 
it ultimately makes whatever you say next easier to absorb, easier to accept. Mm. You're softening the blow, so to speak. Yeah, you, so you mentioned take it straight away into that far end of spectrum of feed. Now, when I take it back to feedback conversation, another mistake that lots of managers do to try to clarify the intention here is to serve this feedback sandwich, start with something nice. Hey, you know, this is what you're doing good. This is what you're great at. Then is there the real meat here and then something nice again at the end. And what tends to happen is I know there's something going to happen. There, there will be that, that shoe will drop in a minute or two. I don't know when. What you're doing is you take me to the state and just let's just clear it out. Let's just not hanging you in this uncertainty for so long. And let's just, just get you right at the beginning. Let's just address it so we can now move forward. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, and people who have been in the, in the professional world long enough, they know about the feedback sandwich. Mm -hmm. They know, especially if they know that there's, there's, um, they know there's a problem with their performance beforehand. Mm -hmm. They know it's coming. And so mm -hmm. why wait? Why put it in a sandwich format? Let's mm -hmm. let's talk about what the issues are and how we're going to address the issues. And then we'll end with all of the posit positive stuff. It's a bigger lasting impression. Right. The last impression is, is the lasting impression. And so mm -hmm. the, the, the feedback sandwich, so to speak, has often been described as best practice in, <laughs> in the world of, of management. And, and sooner or later, best practice becomes common practice. And so people are now aware of it and they're like, okay, he's going to compliment me for about two minutes and then he's going to drop the hammer on me. Mm -hmm. And then exactly. he's going to compliment me for like two minutes after the fact. But the problem is once you start, if you haven't mitigated the negatives associated with all of that feedback sandwich, they're not thinking about what you're telling them when you get to the back end of that sandwich and you start giving them a lot of positive feedback because their brain is still back where the brain is still back where all the negative feedback took place. And, and mm. so with the feedback sandwich, the back end of that sandwich is being ignored. Mm. So we have this uh, accusation audit we approaching with that late night FM DJ voice and tonality. What would be the next stage now in ten, intuitively what I would do um, and certain something that I also coach is to to clarify that intention is to remind what we need, but not because I'm the manager and you're the employee. Likewise, you know, I'm the host negotiator, you're the hostage taker. So I'm Raf is here to help Derek. And mm. you've mentioned that you want to become that hostage negotiator in the future. So this is going to be a conversation. It may seem like I'm being unfair, it may look like X and Y, but we're here to help you to get where you want to move. That's going to be my intention to do or my instinct. What's your process of once you finish the uh, accusation audit, what are you moving into? Are you allowing the other person to speak? Because you mentioned don't let them to confirm or you're not looking for the confirmation. That's what you said. Yeah. What am I doing if I do my accusation audit? So immediately after the accusations audit, uh, you're going to, you're going to, well, let me back up. During the accusations audit, you're not, you may not get the feedback, but you're going to be on alert for it. Uh, if if I say, um, you know, Ralph, you you know, you're probably going to think that this is a complete waste of your time. You're going to think mm -hmm. that I'm trying to impose my will, and and you're over there and you're nodding your head 
That's that's good data for me. That's good information for me because I know that I'm in the ballpark. I know that I'm resonating mm-hmm. with you. But if I get to the end of my once I get to the end of my accusations audit, I follow on with a summary as to why we're here. To your point, mm-hmm. we're here today because this is the the annual or the mid uh, the mid year performance review, um, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about your progress to this point and. Uh, address any concerns that you might have and uh, so that you understand what the, my expectations are, something to, to that effect. Mm-hmm. And, and then I just follow. It, it, it sounds like you have a vision on on how this performance feedback should play out. What's your vision on how you've performed over the last six, 12 months? And get them to open up to you as to how they think they've done. Mm-hmm. And you're listening because you're going to mentally compare it and contrast it to what the actual review looks like from your perspective. Mm-hmm. And then no, if I would follow it on with a no oriented question. Are you, are you against me uh, sharing with you how I've seen your performance over the past six to 12 months? You notice that's a no oriented question. Mm. Are you, are you against me sharing with you uh, the evaluation that I've conducted over the past six to 12 months? It's a small, it's a minor thing. The no-oriented question protects the autonomy. Why are we trying to protect their autonomy when we're in a superior, uh, subordinate relationship? Because we're we're still trying to be deferential. Mm-hmm. And we're doing it at, for cumulative effect. We're not, there's not going to be any one of these skills that's going to move the needle with your direct reports during these conversations. But you want to keep demonstrating that you're trying to do this in a deferential manner. Mm-hmm. And so the no oriented question is one of the best ways to do that. And so the no oriented question, are you against me walking you through my evaluation of your performance over the last six to 12 months? Of course, they're going to, you're going to generate a no because that is why you're there to begin with. Mm. And then before you, you jump into the actual categories where you're, you're rating them, one or, you drop in one or two more accusations audits. Now, this is probably going to catch you off guard. In a few of these categories, it may feel like I'm smacking you in the face with a brick. That's straight on. Okay. And I just let that sit for one, two, three seconds, and then I start moving through. This is a completely it's kind of counterintuitive to what we've been told or primed to behave like almost. And you mentioned there's no oriented question. And when I was listening to your book about that, the first thing that came to my mind in the world of feedback is this notion that managers tend to, and as in a plethora of advice of, hey, you should ask for the permission to share the feedback. Is it okay to share the feedback with you? And I'm thinking, well, this is not, this is against what you're saying. It's different. And I don't like that question for a few reasons, for different reasons. Like I wouldn't change that question for no oriented, but my understanding for, for over the last few years and the way I'm overcoming it is that this is the wrong goal to have, to approach conversation as, would you like to share the feedback? Would you like me to share the feedback with you? Because I know you need it, actually. You, you have your own goals. And that question, in the first place, if there is authority here, I'm not really leaving you that much space, do I? Because if I say no to my boss, then what? Right. And, and, and here's the other thing. And it's, it, like I said, it's a minor thing, but people are... Yes, addicted. They're addicted to yes, and mm-hmm. they're yes battered, and and so yes has become a dirty word. Yes has been yes means obligation. Yes means commitment. Yes means I have no room. 
You're giving them a choice when you change it to a no oriented question. They feel like they have an option because you're not driving them for a yes. Mm -hmm. Clearly, you want the yes because you think that you're giving them control of the conversation by asking permission. But the reality is when you are driving, when you ask a yes oriented question, people internally get defensive, even Mm -hmm. on a small scale. They, 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 they cringe. They, 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 would you like me to give you your evaluation now? They, 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 they're like, ah, oh, go ahead, give it to me. Whereas saying no is protection. Feels a little bit better. And it's all yes. about the emotional state, right? So the yes. way I, I always view it and talk about it is what you want to do during feedback conversation is to make sure that, that your employee or the person that you're sharing with is in that receptive state, meaning providing autonomy, meaning being fair, being perceived as fair. And perception is, is very important here and intention, the mismatch. And so if you, like you've mentioned, if you, if you the verbalizing the no, it feels a bit safer. And so you've just added a little bit more safety into the mm-hmm. environment around me. Therefore, you're more likely to engage in a feedback conversation openly and close. And if we keep on adding those moments when they like, then they will be just consumed with defending themselves and protecting themselves. That's exactly right. Because why do we defend or protect ourselves? Because we're being attacked or we're being threatened. When we're being attacked or threatened, negative emotions mm-hmm. are raised. When negative emotions are raised, the amygdala gets activated. When the amygdala gets activated, it impedes what's supposed to be going on in your prefrontal cortex. Mm-hmm. And when negative emotions and dynamics are present, to your point, the person that you're dealing with is actually dumber than what they should be. Yep. If people are in a positive state, their brains work up to 31% better. So Mm. you got to ask yourself when you're doing these feedback sessions, do you want your direct report to be dumb while you're Mm -hmm. moving through the, 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 uh, the evaluation, or do you want them to be as cognitively nimble as possible? And the answer is the latter. You want them to be as smart as possible. Mm. And that's that's one of the reasons why you have to start with accusations audit right at the beginning and then right before you're about to share bad news with them. Mm. Got it. So there is something that you also share in your book um, and it's called Quick 2 Plus 1, mm-hmm. which it seems like it w- works marvelous. It's just not that easy <laughs> to do. And I've been practicing not for a long time relatively short time, but it's you, you're asking me to change the, my 38 years old habit and it's not an easy task, right. but there is a simplicity to it and the effectiveness is just incredible. So could you just walk us through what actually two plus one is and then we can break it down a little bit further. Okay, so the quick two plus one is just, it's a package of mm-hmm. three specific skills. These, I would, I would say that these are three foundational skills Mm-hmm. within the black swan method the quick two are labels and mirrors mm-hmm. the plus one is dynamic silence with labels it is a verbal observation of a circumstance dynamic or emotion mm-hmm. where we simply say based on the data that we're getting from the person that we're talking to it looks like it seems like it sounds like whatever. Mm -hmm. If you want to be more engaging, you can say it or you look, you seem, you sound. 
So you're, 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 you're giving them feedback on data that they're producing. You're not saying that it is a fact. You're saying, this is what it looks like. This is what it seems like. Like, this is what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you're frustrated with me. It sounds like you think I'm rating you unfairly in this category. It seems like I've upset you because you didn't get outstandings across the board. Mm -hmm. Mirroring the second of the quick two plus one is simply repeating back the last one to three words that you get from the other side. Right. The, this category here is unfair and you've really upset me. Your mirror to that would be upset you. And I, yeah. And you notice, well, maybe you didn't notice, but you can turn it into an interrogatory or you can turn it into a declarative based on how you inflect. Mm -hmm. I, I could say, I, I could say upset you, turning it into a question telling you, Raph, please go on. Or I can inflect downwards and say, upset you. Confirmation like. Confirmation. Mm. The plus one is what we call dynamic silence. In the hostage negotiation world, it was called effective pause. Mm -hmm. We switched the name to dynamic silence because it, it's, in, it's an intentional move on our part to keep the conversation going. You create, you intentionally create a void in the conversation to keep the other side engaged. And it's effective because people don't like silence. Mm, silence yes. makes them uncomfortable. And so you can use that to your advantage by just shutting your mouth. It's a very effective prod or, or encourager for people to continue talking. It's very effective in response to an angry um, outburst by the other side. Just shut your mouth. For those I, of you who think it's gonna be uncomfortable, I promise you, you won't have to go longer than nine seconds. That's, that's, <laughs> that's usually how long it goes. That's the outside. The average is two to three seconds before the other side says, I don't like this. I better say something. I've, my son called me a few times with it. I'm not sure whether he didn't have the answers or didn't want to say anything, but I, just had to, I was in a slightly irritated emotional state <laughs> and he just silenced. I finished what I want to say. He just stays silent for two, three seconds and I just chipped on again and I just yeah. keep on going. I'm like, oh, and then I realized you caught me in something that I supposed to do to you. Yeah, um, yeah, he got you. Mm. During this conversation today, I, actually, I'm practicing my silence, not necessarily to stay silent between the questions, but I have this tendency to finish my question with, right? So I would say, I would paraphrase what I want to say, and I would say, right? And I just deliberately now just only practicing, not saying the right, finish the sentence and resist the urge of adding this one word. And it seems like it's working. I feel a little bit better and actually proud that I finally make some progress with it, if I'm honest with you. Because it's not that easy to just say, okay, I'll just post. It takes a little bit of practice. Yeah, uh, all, of the, all, of the, all of the skills take practice because as you mentioned earlier in the call, counterintuitive, uh, they fly in the face of everything that you've ever taught before. And mm -hmm. therefore it makes you feel uncomfortable. And when we are uncomfortable, what we want to do faster than anything else is to get comfortable again as quickly as possible. And that usually leads to us abandoning 
new things and yes. remain and maintaining the status quo. Mm. So the two plus one, we start with the, with the labeling and I've practiced a little bit mm-hmm. and what I get, and I, and I figured it out that for me, the best field to start practicing is with my kids. My older son is 17, Nathan Xavier is 10 and I'm practicing mainly with Xavier. And what I get at the end of my labeling is yes or no. And I'm like, silence doesn't really work on him yet. <laughs> I'm like, what do I do next if somebody gives me a flat yes or no? So it seems like you don't like this particular project or it looks like you're disengaged and they would say yes or no. What's next for me? All right. So you part of the part of the pursuit of changing the way you think about communicating with people mm-hmm. is to not get so concerned about what they just said or what they just did, Mm -hmm. but ask yourself, why did they say it? Why did they do it? Mm -hmm. Ask yourself, why would someone give me just a yes or no answer? Especially if you're going out of your way to try to determine how it looks from their side, what's going on with them. Mm -hmm. And so son or not, you know, anybody who gives you a one word answer, what are they really telling you? What are they telling you? My assumption is that they just want to quickly get over it and not really open up too much about it. But that's just... Why wouldn't he want to... Let's go deeper. This is what I meant by latent dynamics. Why would he not want to open up and go deeper? Because something will be exposed that he doesn't like and it's not with what he believes he or she is. He doesn't trust you with the information. Trust me, okay. He doesn't trust you with the information. People won't open up to you because they don't trust you with the information. If they trust you with information, they wouldn't have any problem opening up with you. That's where your mindset needs to be. Mm. So you hit yeah, you hit them with another label. I'm, I'm sensing some hesitancy, some reluctance to really share with me in this point. Mm-hmm. I'm sensing that I did something to damage the trust in between us. Because anywhere or anybody anywhere on the planet would do anything for you would share anything with you if they trusted you. Mm. And so like it. your your goal is to not get caught up in the fact that I'm getting yes, no answers from this person. Mm-hmm. You should be going, asking yourself, why don't they trust me? Right. Because if they trusted you, they would provide you a more robust response. Mm-hmm. So going forward, uh, parent to child, Supervisor to direct report. You should stop getting yourself uh, wound up because of behavior or statement and really Mm -hmm. try to find out what's driving the behavior or the statement. Okay, I understand. Now, something that I've heard from you as you were labeling and the same thing that I sense and got from the book, especially the story with the Judy when she was moving to the HR department, is that the labeling was very often focused on, it looks like I've done something or it looks like a circumstances. But I asked myself, is it a bad idea to label something about you? So the reason why I said that is because the other day I've seen my son playing video game and he was clearly raging at it. And so I just went up to have a quick conversation didn't have it in the best possible way according to, to your teachings. I walked away and I questioned myself, okay, I should label it that way 
or that way. But both will focus on you. So like it seems like you don't like him. That was my intention. Is it is it a bad idea to label what you, I think you don't like or you haven't done? Or it has to be focused more on me. So it seems like I've done something to create a situation. Well, it, it depends. It depends on the circumstance. Mm-hmm. It depends on the circumstance. Now, so in, in this case, he's raging at the game that has really nothing to do with you. So yeah. you trying to label something back in your direction wouldn't make much sense in that case. Mm-hmm. The real, uh, how do I want to say this? The, the real focus of the label should be on the data that you're getting from them. That's all you're doing with, with the quick two plus one is you're, you're taking what they give you, you're going to repackage it, and then you're going to give it right back to them. Mm-hmm. And so it's always going to be predicated on data that you're getting from them, whether it's verbal or not. Right. So, so, it, it, so in, in the case that you just gave me, uh, maybe appropriate label is, a, it, you know, it seems like this guy you're playing has got you really frustrated right now. Got it. So it's it's the guy. Who, mm-hmm. Or it seems so, like it seems like sounds like you may need to take a break from the game for a couple of hours. Calm down right. a little bit. Yes. But the label wasn't. It seems like you getting angry at him. It seems like this guy makes you angry. It's a bit more safer, right? Because I'm yeah. taking it from on, on take, outside yes. first. I'm not first attacking your 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 identity, your uh, self esteem, self worth. Yes, I'm first going through a different gate, which is a little bit outside of you, and then I bring it back to you versus going through you first. I like the way you think. Ah, okay, got it. That's that's powerful. That's really good. And there's one more thing we spoke about around the labeling, we spoke about it's counterintuitive. It's so different. We spoke about the authority as well. And when I was listening to this conversation with Judy and those labels, and I switched in between, which is very powerful, guys, you got to have that book and read it. Now, the first thing that came to my mind, one of the first things that came to my mind, my concern as a manager, and I'm, and I'm kind of trying to imagine myself in position all the managers, is that it makes me sound and look like I'm not sure and confident because I'm playing safe. It looks like you're upset. It looks like that, it seems. And so if in my mind, when I was listening to it, in the span of a few minutes, if I would have to repeat several times that I, it seems like, it looks like, then I believe that I would start feeling like I'm not, I'm not confident with what I'm saying, actually, I'm unsure. Well, and, and that part of that is you getting in your own way. Mm-hmm. Do you know what you're doing in your job, yes or no? Well, I, I, I'm doing, I'm doing it. Yes. And my intention is great is to help you. That is right. But you, do you, do you know that you're confident? Are you confident that you're doing the job you're supposed to be doing? Yes. Okay. So there's nothing that you're going to be able to say that's going to eradicate that or, or, or take, a, take away from that. And so you worried about your perception mm-hmm. is you being focused on you. And that's the wrong mindset to have. You're worried about what you look like for in this case to Judy, mm-hmm. when your focus should be on Judy, not on you. If your focus remains on Judy, you don't care whether or not she thinks that you're not confident. Mm-hmm. You, what you are focused on is, does she understand I have her best interest at heart? And the labels is and, and the, your message. Yeah, and, and the labels help you get there 
Mm-hmm. And it's not passing judgment like most supervisors and managers tend to do. Mm-hmm. We pass judgment. This is this is not passing judgment. This is saying to Judy, this is what you're giving me. Mm-hmm. And we say seems, sounds, looks, because we recognize that we could be wrong. Mm. And, and if we're is, wrong, guess what's going to happen? If I'm wrong, I'm... She's going to correct you. Mm-hmm. Because but, the desire to correct is irresistible. Yeah, but also if I'm, if I'm wrong and I label it... So this is the, another tendency that we tend to, tend to have and managers often repeating it when they're sharing feedback, they're sharing their truth as the truth, the absolute. And so, you know, you are not being professional or you are angry now. I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated or whichever it is. If it isn't, then I will start questioning your intention because you got me all wrong. You don't listen. You're not here for me. You're just here to do your job as a manager, right? So mm-hmm. for me, when I was listening to, to your book and it seems like it looks like, I thought that this is the perfect answer to combating this, this urge to saying, sharing your truth as the truth, because as a manager, we should be right. Yeah, that's the tendency. Uh-huh. And the, our communication style follows it. I'm more senior, more experienced. I know better. I've been through it. So I'm right. And if I'm not right, then you will question my intention. And you said you will correct me. And the conversation it changes the trajectory now. Yeah. And, 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 and you're, you're, smarter, you're smarter because of it. Mm. You know, and it's in the way we set the label up is that it provides you with an automatic safety net. Mm-hmm. So you tell Judy, um, you know, it, it sounds like you're frustrated because we left you to your own devices in a new position. And she goes, I'm not frustrated. I'm angry that you guys didn't have the foresight to make sure that I was trained properly. Mm-hmm. And your response to that is, I didn't say you were frustrated. I said you sounded frustrated. That's all. How is what I'm hearing, seeing wrong? Give her an opportunity to explain even further. But you've, you're getting smarter. You got more data. It mm-hmm. confirmed that it wasn't X, it was actually Y. And when you get more data, more information, how does that put you in a worse position? It doesn't. It puts you in a better position. Mm-hmm. There is a story in your book about your wife. That uh, someone tried, the, the, I think prosecutor tried to trick her with certain listening skills. And you said, what she didn't know is that she's married to a hostage negotiator. And I thought to myself, is this all labeling, for instance, is it something that you do constantly all the time, whatever you are, or are you switching in between? And the reason why I'm asking this question, because I'm curious, is it a good skill to have full stop? Or we have to switch it on and off? some personal life, different circumstances, professional one, or I can just set my mind. Because the reason why I'm asking is, can I set my mind to train myself always labeling rather than sharing my truth as the truth? Yeah, that's a great question. Yes, you can train your mind to, and when you say always label, always be conscious of labeling to demonstrate to another person that you're tracking with what they're saying. Mm -hmm. But on the same, by the same token, you want to be conversational. Don't mm-hmm. ever forget the fact that regardless of what skills you choose to employ, you're just having a conversation with another, another human being. 
Right. So if I start to have a conversation with you and you hit me with seven, eight, it looks like, seems like, sounds like in a row, I'm going to get suspicious of you. Right. Yeah. Because you don't, you sound like you're rehearsed. You sound like you're a robot. I don't want to talk to a robot. I want to talk to a human being. And so I want you to think and, and your, and your listeners to think of difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. The quick two plus one. All right. So the conversation is a soup or a stew. The quick two plus one, that's the seasoning for the soup or the stew. You never put too much salt in a stew. You never put too much pepper in a stew. Mm. You never put too, too much onion powder in a stew. It just it depends on mm-hmm. what taste you're going for. And it de- depends on what type of conversation that you're in. So whatever you do, stay conversational. Right. Punctuate your conversation with the skills instead of trying to jam them in every chance that you get. Mm-hmm. Your okay. delivery. This goes back to the 738-55 ratio. Your mm-hmm. delivery is more important than anything else. Yes. Um, managers are forgetting that they are in charge of place, time, and emotional state that they're in when they're sharing feedback. Mm-hmm. And it makes a huge difference. And again, I think when you spoke about Mahrab rule and how important it is, I'm thinking, well, the whole feedback game and the trick here is to make sure that my intention of helping you is aligned with the perception that is there. Just because my feedback is great, it's on point, it's valid, and I know it's going to work for you, if I'm not mindful about how I'm presenting it, you're just not going to take it. Because you will question my, my intention and you just bounce it back and you just walk away thinking you're being unfair. You, they will drop that F word into the mix. You're being unfair with me, unreasonable. And it's like, I'm not even listening to, to, to it mm. anymore. I'm not taking yeah. it on board. Yes. It, it, if we're not careful, our inner vo- voice will betray our outer voice. Genuineness, projected sincerity are two things that you have to have as a manager, as a, as a supervisor and, and transparency, they, 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 they're, they're, they're hyper alert for whether or not you are sincere, mm-hmm. whether or not you are authentic and whether or not you are open. Mm-hmm. And if they see those things, three things in you based on your delivery of your messages, transparency, authenticity, and projected sincerity, they will respond in kind. Those yes. things encourage reciprocity. Spot on, spot on. The Right before we joined on this call, um, you said, have you just stood up to rehearse something? And I shared with you that I've got my own ritual to get myself, my mind into the game and calm myself down. And managers often forgetting about resetting the emotions and don't have the skills or the process to enter emotionally charged conversation, difficult conversation and being mindful about it ahead of it. Now I, can, I can't imagine many more extremely charged emotional conversation than you've had as, as a negotiator, hostage negotiator. And I'm curious, what is your practice ways of tricks, ways of getting yourself out of this ego and authority because it's very easy to have when you have it to enter it. And it's like, I'm not even having it. I, I want to save those people. There's a shortcut here. And that's the law enforcement. That's my badge. And that's et cetera, et cetera. They have to be, so you, I'm, I'm guessing you've got some own ways of resetting those emotional state and your emotions and entering conversation in a different state that most would. 
Well, yeah, and it's it's relatively simple. Uh, here's here's the hack. Say to yourself before the conversation, I've got something to learn. During this conversation, I have something to learn. And as a result, conversation, I'm going to be genuinely curious. Mm -hmm. If you walk into the conversation with that mindset, you can't get triggered. You're, you can't be curious and angry at the same time. You can't be curious and frustrated at the same time. You have to be one. Your brain doesn't work that way. You have to be either curious or you have to be emotional. You can't be both. And so let's go into the conversation, even if it's a performance evaluation feedback, assuming you've got something to learn. I guarantee you there is. Mm. Because the, I don't care how long you've had the relationship with the, your direct report, there are things going on with them that you have no idea about, that you are only going to find out if you sit down and have this feedback ses session with them. Number two, you know it's going to be a difficult conversation on some at some point. Mm -hmm. Accept the fact that you're going to be attacked. It's going mm. to come out of left field. It's not going to make any sense to you. It probably it could be an ad hominem attack where they're just going after you personally. Yeah, but it's going to happen. You don't know where, but it's going to happen. Your char your charge is stay in your seat. Mm -hmm. Figuratively speaking, stay in your seat. Hold on forty five seconds to a minute. That's probably as long as it's going to go, unless they're a sociopath. Then you you're going to be there a while. But just hold on. <laughs> And, and, and take it. And when I say take it, it's not take it and then respond. How dare you talk to me? You know, that that's not going to work. Yes. You take the, you take the attack. And then what do you think I want you to do based on what we said like 20 minutes ago? Still staying, staying curious with that person. That's and right. Find out where it's coming from. Hmm. Because people will attack you during a difficult conversation for one of three reasons. They're under pressure on their side. Mm -hmm. You're not listening to them. Mm -hmm. Or they're trying to manipulate you. Regardless of the motivation, you have to find out which one it is because it's not going to go away. So what do I want you to do? I want you to stop once, once they calm down. Hardest thing for bosses to do. I'm sorry. It sounds like I just said something that completely put you into the red. Hmm. What caused that? Really accepting and being at have that humility and, and accepting it, and just your tone of the voice and just come across like, like you like you mean it. Yeah, and, and and you know you caused it. You know whatever you just the last thing that you said before they blew up. There was an impetus in that interchange in interaction that led them to explode. You got to figure out where what it was. But it's also going to be so different to employees used to in situation. When you do that, it will just immediately make them wow. This is consistency. This, this is different. This is good. Actually, I didn't expect that in return. Exactly. Honestly, I'm expecting you just standing up and just leveling me and and going head towards me. Exactly. Like head to head. Mm. Exactly. And, and what you've done is the exact opposite. Going yes. back, going back to what I said earlier, 
You're bringing the irrational emotion down and rational thinking starts to come up. You're making them smarter because you want them to understand. You want them to hear. Mm. I really appreciate everything that you, you shared with me. It's so much wisdom here. And in the book, guys, you got to really buy it. And I'm going to leave loads of links as well in the podcast description. I've recently joined one of your Facebook group. That was a five day challenge. And guys, hands down, the most engaging group that I ever experienced in my life. I've been into so many Facebook groups. Can't even count when you build your own business you know guys the drill you're joining you see it's flat it's mundane hundreds thousands of comments incredible and i know guys you're building new um group as well could you share us a little bit more about that one yeah we got another challenge week coming up on uh the week of february 22nd it'll run the entire week um and we've got we got it we're going to give you uh keyhole looks into uh, a, a lot of the black swan method a lot of the black swan uh, mm-hmm. products and we're gonna we're gonna have some more interviews of uh, some of our black swan fans who've who've been with us for quite some time to talk about their successes and failures at implementing some of the things that we talked about and then and, and, and to your point it provides an opportunity for like-minded individuals from all over the globe to jump into the Facebook group and, and mm-hmm. encourage each other, ask each other questions and, and, and share um, experiences with one another. So we're looking forward to uh, another successful uh, challenge week. This is the moment when you said I should be careful and mindful how I'm using that. It seems like in this case, I shouldn't say it seems like a lot of value, guys. There is a lot of value because I've been part of it and I will be again. Um, I know you have your own book as well. I'll leave the links in, in, over there, guys, as well. What is what, what are the other places we can find more about you, your work, and the Black Swan group as well? BlackSwanLTD.com. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the book is available on Amazon, Audible. We are looking forward to a relaunch of the book probably in May oh. of this year uh, with some bonus content mm-hmm. in it. Oh. And so uh, we're, we're, we're looking forward to that. And a couple of other publications that are going to come out as well around the same time. So I think right around the mid-May, we will be launching at least at least two, if not three new uh, written products. That's phenomenal. I'm definitely going to grab my hands on it, guys. The Ego Authority Failure is a phenomenal book. It will just guide you like no other book. You, you know, when I watched your video, when you said that there's a plethora of the books about emotional intelligence, but it just talks about how important it is and your book is different. It definitely is. I was just sat down Thank and you. making notes after notes. Thank you. Um, so incredible one. I just got so excited. I forgot to ask the last question. I've got a minute or so. And there's always the same question that I'm asking every single guest because I'm really curious. Mm-hmm. Who is or was the best coach-like leader that you work with or for? Oh, uh, the the best leader that I worked for, probably uh, I refer to her in the book as Amy, mm-hmm. um, and she and I at various points in our in our careers together. She came on the police department a year before I did, and as we progressed through our careers. At some point, I was working for her. Mm-hmm. At another point, we were peers. And then at another point, she was working for me. And then I started working for her again uh, because wow. we would get promoted at, at different at different uh, times uh, throughout the course of, of the year. And hands down, uh, she she's the best that I've ever worked for. She she genuinely cares about her people. 
She never asked them to do anything that she wasn't prepared or qualified to do herself. And she was always genuine, always genuine. You know, there, there's when you when you messed up, mm-hmm. she let you know that you messed up. When you, she she had to be punitive with you, you know, she didn't she didn't back away from it, shy away from it. Um, and and she's the type of person that I described earlier today that I would run through a brick wall for her and not question mm-hmm. why she asked me to do it. Phenomenal. Wow. What a leader. Yeah. Beautiful. She's fantastic. Okay. Derek, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been, it's been a great pleasure and so many notes. I can't wait to edit this, this episode because through the edit, editing these, those episodes, I learn twice as much. Yeah, so thank I'm you very sure much. You All right. Thank you, Ralph. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye.